Hi, and welcome to Seriously Single. I am your host, Brianne Hogan, a relationships and dating writer who's been single, seriously single, for a long time. I'm also the author of two astrology books, Joy in the Stars, which is a self-care astrology book for your mind, body, and soul that I did with BuzzFeed and Friendship Signs, which is an astrology book about friendships. I mention astrology because... We have an astrologer on the show today, Ocean Pleasant. So before I introduce Ocean, though, I just wanted to just go into why I think astrology is important for love and relationships and especially like love and care for ourselves. Astrology is a self-discovery tool. I think the more that we better understand ourselves, which is with the help of getting our birth chart interpreted and done by an astrologer such as Ocean, the more we can better understand who we are, how we operate, how we love ourselves, how we love other people, how we communicate, what we need in love, what we need in life, all of that stuff. I mean, there are so many other tools and modalities that we can use to help better understand ourselves for self-actualization, but astrology, I think, is one of the more powerful and potent and fun ones to do. I had a friend recently who was saying how like she just thinks she's cursed when it comes to love, which made me think, well, maybe it's not so much her being cursed, which I do not believe in. I don't think anyone is cursed. I, I don't, I, that's not my philosophy in life. But I was curious to, to wonder if there was anything in her birth chart in the stars that might be keeping her stuck or that she's not using, you know, the knowledge that you can find in your chart to best, to best utilize herself, her communication, her needs, her wants, her desires into action when it comes to meeting a mate. So she was kind of the inspiration behind it. And I also know from just other single friends who've had experiences with the recent Venus retrograde that we had from the summer that went into the fall and Mercury retrograde, like things happen when the stars are doing stuff, right? Like Venus retrograde was like a clean house kind of moment. Uh, Mercury retrograde usually has like exes coming back. I mean, these are things that really happen. And the more that we are just tuned into what's happening in the cosmos, we better understand ourselves and our own chart, the more that we can really just amplify and use those transits to our best ability to really make the most out of them and make the most out of our life and our love life and further our own journey when it comes to self-empowerment, which is the whole point anyway. So that brings me to our guest this week. Ocean Pleasant is a Gen Z astrologer and a Forbes 30 under 30 alum with a knack for distilling the cosmos into practical tools and soulful discussions. Her work has been recognized by a collaboration with Target, over 600 clients, and over 145,000 internet friends. I met Ocean initially through Instagram. So definitely follow her on there. She's got lots of information. And I was so happy to have her on the show because we really get into a lot of the planets and what they mean for your love life, what they mean for your single life, what they mean just to help you, as I said, better understand you. She has so much to share. It's really an in-depth discussion. So I know you will love it. It's time to seriously talk about being single. Hi, Ocean. Welcome to Seriously Single. Thank you so much for having me. So my first question is that I ask every guest is, are you single right now? No, I'm not. I'm coming up on three years in the categorically healthiest relationship I've ever been in, but I very much know the experience of being (laughs) single before this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. So when was the last time you were single and how long were you single? I was single up until February 2021. And before that, um, shoot, it's probably, I'd only had one serious relationship before then. So Mm. probably three years single, two years in that first serious relationship, and then nothing serious before that. Okay, okay. 
So you you definitely know what it's like to be single. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially a lot of that time of singleness was in Los Angeles, which is like a graveyard for dating. So kind of compounded factors there. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I've never lived in LA, but I know people who have. And it, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. I had to literally move like 4,000 miles to meet the person that I'm with now. So um, yeah. yeah, like my heart goes out to anyone listening to this in LA. <laughs> yeah. Where are you living now? I live in Hawaii. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So you're an astrologer. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's why... I wanted you to come on the show (laughs) Um, because I mean, I'm a big fan of astrology. Um, I have, I have knowledge of astrology um, and I know astrology isn't a very popular thing. Like it's, it's a, it's a growing, I don't want to say it's a trend because I don't like using that for astrology, but it just seems to be very popular method of self-discovery tool. Let's just say that. For a lot of people. Totally. And I, I think that it is re-emerging in the kind of collective zeitgeist right now. But to your point, calling it a trend kind of fails to, you know, encapsulate that it's been around for thousands of years. It's one of the oldest frameworks for um, you know, self-discovery and just the recognition of patterns in this psyche and self-improvement um, that we have. So it's kind of interesting to see how things ebb and flow throughout time. But, you know, I mean, Obama had an astrologer. J.P. Morgan has an astrologer. You know, the earliest kings and emperors had court astrologers. So, um, you know, you throw a rock, you hit somebody who uses astrology throughout time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And to your point, like that's why I think it's it is an important little tool to have in your toolkit uh, for self discovery and awareness. And I think being single is a very good time. I mean, you should always work on yourself, whether you're in a relationship or not. But when you're single, I think it's, it's an especially potent time to do so. And I want to know how astrology can help someone do that for themselves, and also maybe realize. Like, I think if people have been single for a long period of time, they're just like, I, for example, I have a friend, she's been single for a while. And she just said to me the other day, she was like, I just seem to have like bad luck or I'm cursed or something, which I don't really believe in. Hmm. But I, it did make me think that maybe it was related to her chart. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there is something going on astrologically for her that she's just in a period of time where she's meant to be single. Hmm. So could that be true? Yes and no. So the first thing I like to preface with is I don't believe there are any bad placements or any bad aspects Mm -hmm. in your birth chart. So I tend to steer clear of any type of fear mongering or doomsday Mm -hmm. interpretations Um, and simply put right conjunctions and blue lines in your chart like trines, sextiles, for those who are a little more advanced, are all the things that come easily to you. And then opposition, squares, the more tense red lines, are karmic stories that you're here to heal and rewrite. So if someone is playing into those karmic loops like Pluto opposite Venus and they just keep attracting these really kind of power play partners and really intense all or nothing kind of catastrophic endings to relationships, then maybe they're really having a difficult time breaking the narrative of a specific aspect. Um, Maybe someone was born with Venus while it was in retrograde, meaning that that person karmically has a roundabout way of self-actualizing in relationships, that the arrival into relationship is going to look more off the beaten path and non-traditional for that individual. So there are things we can look for that explain maybe why some people kind of naturally fall into relationship, those serial monogamy folks, and then why other people feel like they have, quote unquote, really bad luck. Yeah, okay. Because I'm curious too, because I've been single for a really long time. I don't think I have bad luck or anything like that. So I'm not one of those people who believe in that. <laughs> but um, I I am curious about like for me, so I my Venus is in Capricorn. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm obviously like I take relationships very seriously. Yes. Um, but my Mars is in Aquarius as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. Then. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of jumping ahead because people might not know what those planets represent. 
So maybe we can just talk about the planets that are are more like conducive or explain more about one's relationship status then? Totally, totally. And your placements make total sense for, you know, you're kind of more single by choice. You have extremely high standards and you're not really one to get caught up in the moment. If it means sacrificing, you're non-negotiable. So we'll get to the Capricorn Aquarius combo in a minute. But so we all know Venus, right? Goddess of love. Venus is your cosmic love language placement. And it's not just how you relate to others. Venus is the blueprint of self-love as well. It's what you find beautiful. It's what makes you feel loved. It's also your loving style when you are showing it for someone else, right? So, you know, Venus and fire signs, they come on really strongly. They go zero to a hundred in the blink of an eye, right? And they kind of, you get a call from a friend and they're like, I'm in love. And you're like, what are you talking about? Who is this person? And they're like, oh, I met them last night. It's like, all right, like slow down. But they're really excitable. And then we have you, right? Venus and earth signs. They're very methodical. They have high standards. They really want the best of everything and it's not selfish to do so. And it's just kind of not a lot of people historically can really reciprocate at that level. So there's a lot more discernment that goes into relationships for Venus and Earth signs, which I should clarify are Taurus, Virgo, Capricorn. Fire is Aries, Leo, Sagittarius. Then we have Venus and water signs. This is very much the energy of falling in love with the idea of someone. (laughs) So very much dreaming up and imagining your life with them. If you have Venus and Cancer, imagining the family you might have with them. Or in Pisces, very much going through all of their tagged photos and kind of getting a feel for what your (laughs) life would be like. So, you know, Scorpio also being a water sign. This is a lot more nonverbal, more in love with the idea, the sensation. And so it's important Mm. to be clear about what your non-negotiables are before the feeling sweeps you away, right? And then finally, Mm. if you have Venus in an air sign, which is Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius, this is a loving style that needs to be intellectually stimulated before any type of physical connection can feel grounded or even attractive. You know, you could put like a uh, swimsuit model in front of a, a Venus in an air sign person and they're like, I'm not interested unless we can stay up until 3 a.m. talking about all of my hyperfixations. So, um, yeah, there's kind of, you know, rooted in feeling, rooted in intellect, rooting in expectation, rooted in passion. If we look at it even just elementally, which is the most basic we can break it down, we're going to understand what you need so much deeper. Mm -hmm. So that's key. So that is really important when one is understanding their love language astrologically really right yes which is is important and i like that you mentioned it's how we also offer love because it's a good way to think about it because i think when i mean when i was interpreting venus and capricorn sometimes i'm like i don't know if i'm that stuffy when it comes to my love life but i think i do offer i think yeah my love language is definitely capricorn yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's kind of Venus and Earth signs for Capricorn is very much actions over words. You're not like, I don't care how many love letters you write me, the sweet nothings you whisper in my ear in the morning. I need you to take out the trash. I need you to be impeccable with your word. I need you to do what you say you're going to do. And when you really love someone, you show up tenfold for them, right? You're there at their book launch. You're there when they need soup, when they're sick. I mean, Earth is the element of I'm going to show my love by doing things that prove yeah. it. It's it's really about what can be tangibly understood. And, and it's also why, you know, especially with that Aquarius thrown in, which can be a little detached when they're let down, right, is, all right, well, mm-hmm. if you're not going to back this up with action, then I have no energy for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm okay to be alone. Yes. So, yeah. Because Mars, if you want to go through Mars sure. for us, yeah. <laughs> um, is probably also an important part of our of our love. Oh, absolutely. So so Mars is the planet of willpower and sexual attraction. I like to think of Mars as the engine of your birth chart. It's 
you know, green means go, right? Mars is how you act. Mm -hmm. Mars is how you initiate. Mars is what, you know, kind of controls your libido. It controls your interest in things. So if your Mars isn't activated by a person or a situation, you're not going to feel motivated to go on a second date. You're not going to feel aroused, Mm -hmm. right? Mars is all things. What's going to inspire me to engage, right? So when we have Mars and water signs, very much needing to play cat and mouse. Mars and water signs are not typically the first ones to make the move. They're kind of Mm. more going with the flow and noticing the things that are being left unsaid, right? The cues at the party, the body language, um, the kind of coy cat and mouse style, right? As opposed to Mm. Mars and fire signs are very quick to go after what they want. Um, They initiate based on passion, but it can sometimes feel hot and cold when someone is chasing a feeling because feelings are temporary. So if you've ever dated a a Mars Mm. in a fire sign person and you're like they made me feel like the center of their universe last week and now I haven't heard from them in 72 hours it can be hot and cold because they're chasing a feeling oftentimes Um, Mars in, in an earth sign very diligent. Mars and Earth signs sometimes first dates can feel like job interviews <laughs> because they really want to make sure that this is worthwhile. Again, what can I tangibly, mm-hmm. you know, sink my teeth into? Is this real? Is this going anywhere? Mars and Earth signs mm-hmm. will be the hardest workers, the most loyal, the most committed if it has longevity, if there's a reason to put the effort in. And then Mars and Air signs, right? they need to fully understand something, right? Mars and air signs are kind of little sleuths. Like you won't be fully comfortable until you've turned over every stone and figured out why are they talking to me in that way? Is there someone else? What's going on? It's a very investigative placement that wants to learn, right? It's driven by curiosity, but it's also because it's so changeable, it is also perfectly fine alone, right? Especially for you in Aquarius, you know, one of the kind of tools in your toolbox is mindful detachment of not getting so hung up in, you know, a, a dream or or a desire that you can't be alone and can kind of turn it on and off. You can toggle it like a switch almost. Um, sometimes to your own detriment, you might wake up one day and be like, oh, I've, I am a little detached or I have kind of tuned out <laughs> X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, but when done consciously, it is a, it is a tool. Interesting. Yeah, that adds up. That 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 definitely adds up. But I mean, I will say too, I, my rising sign's Pisces, so I'm. I can be. I can get. A, I can get caught up in the fantasy, one hundred percent. But anyway, <laughs> we love Pisces risings. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 good. I'm glad. I'm glad for it because I have a stellium in Capricorn, so it helps yeah. me not be so. And I think we've talked about this before, that it's kind of equal parts dreamer and doer. So Mm -hmm. elementally, and what creates sextiles, which are harmonious collaboration in your own chart, right? Aspects are just how the planets talk to each other. Are they friends? Do they help each other out? Or are they constantly at odds? In which case, your free will is the mediator between the areas of conflict in your own chart. And so- Mm. compatible elements are what create sextiles, which are these cute little blue 60 degree angles. And they're just going, these planets are friends. These planets support each other. They help each other out. They collaborate often. And so earth and water are collaborators. Fire and air are collaborators. This is just as true Mm. for your own birth chart as it is for someone else in relationship astrology, right? Fire and air Venus goes great together. Earth and water Venus goes great together. So for Mm. you being a Pisces rising with a Capricorn stellium, right? You have the business mindedness of Capricorn to want to be, you know, remote or freelancer or kind of be more in charge of your daily autonomy and sovereignty is really important to you. And at the same time, you're creative, you're a writer, you're a dreamer. That Pisces rising wants to aspire to more than just a life behind a computer screen where Capricorn is normally Mm -hmm. just convent content chugging away right and Pisces is like but where does my soul get to dream and create and flow so they're sextiling right even sometimes a lot of charts don't Mm. aspect to the rising sign but it does count is that 
all of that like work ethic and capability and self-knowing of Capricorn wants to support the dreamer of your Pisces rising, of your sweet mm. Pisces soul. So they they go hand in hand. Mm, I love that. Well, you're actually you're actually just describing my my chart is I think a really good thing for people to actually if they never had their own chart done is is a great thing to do, especially now if people are listening and they're single, because as I was saying, I think it's a great time when you're single to be to use as a self-aware period, like just get to know yourself, if you're repeating patterns. And as Ocean was describing my chart, even just knowing that about myself then I'm able to like have more compassion for myself to better understand myself. And I think that just really helps no matter where you're at in life. But if you're trying to piece your life together, I think having your chart done kind of alleviates a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it makes you just feel a little bit like, oh, okay. Like explain so much about myself and why I am the way I am. I don't have to take things on so seriously. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Totally, so. totally. And I think it's also to the point of self-discovery, if being single feels liberating, and then it's usually because you probably made too many compromises in the last relationship, you started to mirror your partner at the expense of losing things that felt really integral to your own identity. And there's no fault, there's no blame, there's no right or wrong. But the reason I'm saying this is because your birth chart is the roadmap home to yourself. Your birth chart mm -hmm. is the original factory settings instructions on how to love yourself and what you need to feel the most loved. And so when we center your birth chart and go, okay, well, in this next iteration of my love life, whatever that may be, what are my non-negotiables as written by the stars so that I never lose myself in partnership again, so that I never give something away mm. that should have never been on the table in the first place? And to really make sure right, that we are operating at the frequency um, that is a non-negotiable for us. Yeah, yeah. I like, yeah, I'll say that's a good point. So when you're looking at someone's chart and let's just say they're mm -hmm. single, <laughs> i.e. the podcast. Uh, so they're single and they're like, Ocean, I'm single. What can I do about my relationship status? Like, what would you what would you look at? Like what? I would look at the house of Venus as the area of life where they can really lean into their relationship style more. Oftentimes, the house of Venus can indicate the area of life where you're more likely to find love, right? Because each of the 12 houses, every birth chart is divided up just like a pizza, and every slice is a different area of life. So whatever house something is in is going to be the area of life where that part of you is more resonant, more accessible, more likely to show up. So the house of Venus, right, if someone is actively trying to meet someone and say they've got Venus in the 11th house of community, I would go, you're someone who does really well being set up by friends, friends of friends, word of mouth. Mm. Have you told your friends you're actively looking and actively trying to date again. Maybe they're not aware. Maybe they know someone or like can kind of put their feelers out for you as well because the 11th house is broader community, right? And also the mm -hmm. internet and futurism. So maybe online dating or, you know, some, some new apps that are coming out, but really plugging into community if someone's trying to channel Venus more deeply. Um, Venus in the 10th house, sometimes workplace romances, right? When you center your career, you feel in love with life, right? Venus isn't just people. Right. So the more activated you feel in your career, maybe that's putting you in the vicinity or in the, the line of path for a relationship. Like you're going to meet someone at a work function or, you know, maybe a coworker, whatever the case may be. Maybe it isn't an HR mess. Maybe it's meant to be. <laughs> um, so, so that's one thing. If someone's actively looking for a relationship, then I want to make sure that they're devoting enough time to the house of Venus, particularly. Mm. Okay. I just checked my chart. Venus is in my 10th okay. house. Okay. So 
meeting people through your podcast, through your work, through your external mm-hmm. interests, and also the being the house of reputation and ambition is kind of how mm-hmm. can you put yourself in, you know, the the social circles and the, you know, different areas of your career where people do meet one another, right? So um, just kind of getting creative about even just how do I express my love for my work? And is there an intersection where would I desire a partner who loves their purpose and their work the same way, right? Because we kind Mm. of dialing in, when I say frequency too, I want to clarify that I think of Venus in particular as a radio and you're on a specific frequency Mm. and not knowing what the love preferences are in your chart are is essentially like being Mm. on a channel with a bunch of static white noise. And so we're kind of dialing it into the frequency of love, of self-love, of, you know, welcoming in love that doesn't require too much, you know, sacrifice or or betrayal of self is how we leverage the chart to get on the same frequency as someone else. So um, you feeling really actualized in your career and you kind of going after it, no bars held, just this is what I want. This is who I want to be. This is what I want to be known for. More often than not is going to put you in the path of something or someone that activates your Venus. Okay, so what's another thing that you would look at in the chart for someone that is single and asking about their relationship status? And and maybe also, like, I'm curious, is there something in a chart that says this person is maybe better, better at being alone than other people? I don't know. Is that a thing? Yeah, so it kind of depends how into the nitty gritty you want to get, but typically... At its very base level, we look at elements, right, which we talked about a little earlier. Um, Water and fire kind of, right, they kind of clash a little bit because water's either really good at being alone or gets so wrapped up in the fantasy and has a hard time not being with someone else because water takes the shape of whatever container it's in. So if relationship is the container that a water-dominant chart And when I say dominant, I mean like if someone has four or more planets in a single element, that's going to tilt the scales a lot. (laughs) Mm. So anyone listening, just as a baseline, check and see if you have four or more planets in one element or or another, that's probably going to tilt the scales in the favor of that element. And so typically Mm. like earth dominant, pretty good at being alone, Um, water dominant, if they're kind of in their own world, then they're pretty good at being alone. Um, But Fire and air need interaction to exist, to survive, right? Air goes crazy in the house alone for more than four hours. So they need some type of interaction. And that's sometimes why air gets a reputation for being kind of, you know, wishy-washy or jumping from one person to the next rather quickly um, is because they need social interaction. Air is the element of connection, right? And then fire is you know just passion energy spontaneity so also really you look at the two elements that can't stay inside for very long and those are usually the ones that need more connection okay okay that makes sense i do have like um yeah i do have more earth in my chart so i guess that makes more sense for me that i'm okay (laughs) to be more alone than other people (laughs) so there's more resolve to kind of keep to your own devices and you have your routines, your likes and dislikes. They're not really easily influenced by other people's likes and dislikes. So you're kind of earth stays true to course, right? Earth is the element of just practicality and routine and, you know, what works best for me and what I know for fact. So for someone to jostle your reality enough to warrant making space for them in your life Mm. is a big deal. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. (laughs) Um, I'm wondering too. Okay. So we have certain transits that happen. Do certain transits, we just had a Venus retrograde like this last, this past summer, which was a huge self-discovery like portal. Mm -hmm. Um, are some transits like more, I guess, conducive to being alone than others? Is that a thing? 
I think retrogrades are always a great time to reflect and go, am I getting what I need right now in this area of my life or not? And Venus retrograde, I always laugh when people call it breakup season. I like to think of it as accountability season. First Mm. and foremost, being accountable to yourself. Like, Mm. have I been sweeping things under the rug? Have I been ignoring my needs? Have I been biting my tongue? Have I been giving away my power and calling it compromise, right? Retrogrades typically have a way of revealing where we are no longer accountable with ourselves. And then as a result, what power we've given away externally. And so relationships or situations, jobs, friendships that end during retrogrades are as a result of falling out of alignment with what we need and what we should have been doing the whole time. So I would say, you know, retrogrades are a very buzzworthy topic, you know, in news, on social media, but it's just kind of like the check engine light. Is everything good? Or, you know, do I need to change my brakes? You know, have I changed my windshield wiper fluid? So I would say uh, without talking too much about transits because there's actually such a hyper individualized topic Mm. and you know the the transits we can speak to would probably be you know mercury retrograde venus retrograde um as being the two primary ones that you'll notice you know across the board Mm. using even like celebrities as an example as kind of a like a little small data set of the macro of just how many like you know Joe Jonas, Sophie Turner, you know, Ariana Grande, like, you know, Sofia Vergara, like mm-hmm. all these huge celebrities that go through breakups during Venus retrograde. It's like, oh, okay, well, accountability season comes for everyone and yeah. is indiscriminate. So yeah. um, yeah, I'd say unless we're talking about a specific chart and I can go, okay, well, Jupiter is retrograding over your Venus and you're maybe having to downsize your relationship a little bit and figure out maybe where we kind of started off too strong I don't know unless I'm looking at a specific chart yeah okay so you yes you brought up a good point so if someone were to come to you and have their chart done you can look at certain aspects of their chart I mean we went through like the houses a little bit what are other things that you would look at that would say okay well maybe you broke up because of this reason or you're in this um, hermit mode now like Mm -hmm. you know that type of thing Yeah. So a little more advanced, but very easy to identify is something called the progressed moon. This is totally separate from your natal chart. If you don't know how to draw a progressed chart, you can literally just Google progressed moon calculator. Mm -hmm. And this is the evolution of your emotional needs over time throughout your life Mm -hmm. in two and a half year periods of time. And this can be what makes life feel divided up into chapters. And a lot of breakups happen on the precipice of one or both people's progressed moons changing signs because it is literally an evolution of the emotional needs and desires of a person. And it doesn't mean relationships have to end at those intersections, but you'll notice why two and a half to three years is a pretty average runtime for a lot of relationships because in that time period, a progressed moon will change. That's very true. Isn't that? That's so weird, but it's true. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And the big ones too, you'll notice when, um, Big breakups can often happen at the shift from water to fire because Mm -hmm. water is so lovey-dovey. You never leave the house. You're cuddled up watching Mm -hmm. Netflix, eating all your comfort foods, very sensitive and emotional and in love with love. And then it moves into fire. And what does fire need? Fire needs freedom and air to fan its flames. And suddenly you're maybe feeling a little suffocated, a little smothered Mm -hmm. by going through the same old, same old and never leaving the house. Suddenly you're a little resentful that you don't have more friends or a more active social life. And then you break up because you need, quote unquote, more freedom, right? So the switch to fire progressed moons is typically where I see breakups for the sake of freedom. And then the switch into um, air, I mean, sorry, earth progressed moons is where I see the switch because people need something more serious, Mm -hmm. right? So moving into Taurus from Aries right? Someone was on like a two and a half year, like bad bitch, single, you know, out every other night, Aries fire lifestyle. And then 
kerplunk, now they're in Taurus and they just want stability, right? So the shift into Earth is typically when we're looking for something more grounding. Um, so those are two big ones. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That that makes a lot of sense. So we do. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Most progressed moon calculators online will show you when they've switched in the past, not just what chapter you're in right now. So you can go through and see. Did anything significant happen around the months, maybe two to three months, where it says each one shifted into a new sign? And you'll mm. be so blown away how much this lines up with major life shifts and changes, not just relationship, but when you left a job, when you moved to a new city, they mm. almost always line up within a month or two of a progressed moon change. Crazy. I'm just thinking back <laughs> a little bit for me. Um, but yeah, okay. I'm going to do that myself. So I'm going to definitely look that up because that is very interesting to know. And it makes a lot of sense because I think everyone can relate to having different transitions in their life. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, I don't want this life anymore. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that's why, because the birth chart never changes, that's why it's so important to make sure that your non-negotiables are always being honored, that your Venus, that your cosmic love language, that your moon, your emotional needs, that your Mars, what makes you feel alive, that all of these things are always being centered so that if you are in a relationship that you see yourself in for the long haul, that it doesn't get upended by one transit or a progressed moon changing. Because don't get me wrong, relationships that are built to last are not going to end when one of these things happens, Mm -hmm. right? So relationships that in and of themselves are more seasonal are the ones that are likely to change with these influences. But I just want to be clear about that, that it's not like, oh my gosh, my progressed moon's about to change. I'm going to lose my partner, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, good point. Okay. You mentioned moon. So that actually, that's a good, that's a good thing to run through as well, because we did the Venus and we did Mars. And so your moon represents your emotional needs, as you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And that's an important piece, obviously, of not only relationships, but how we relate to ourselves. And if we can meet our own needs, it's not just obviously someone else meeting our own needs. Uh, My moon's in Taurus. (laughs) Uh, More earth for me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So what are the moon? What are, yeah, what are the elements in the moon? And how can you, if you can define them for us? Absolutely. So maybe we can kind of shake it up, go from elements to modalities just to give a different perspective. So cardinal moon signs, we're talking Aries, Cancer, Libra, Capricorn. You might be wondering what all of those signs have in common. They're cardinal. So these are the initiators. This is an emotional body that in one way or another needs to feel in charge, needs to feel like their independence, their sovereignty is respected that they are you know receiving props for what they're bringing to the table but these people are typically more emotionally reassured the more personal power they have in relationships and these are typically the people that feel the most quickly dissatisfied at a loss of personal power in relationships mm. and sometimes little things can can make that happen and you have to recenter yourself and go okay well relationships require compromise and just because like they folded the laundry wrong doesn't mean i need to break up with them but these cardinal signs Um, You know, the modes are essentially like the family trees of the Zodiac and the cardinal family, you know, they're the initiators. They want to be in charge. And even a cancer moon, especially a cancer moon, don't mistake cardinal water as being just like a walk all over me doormat softy. Cardinal signs need a sense of personal power to feel emotionally secure. Um, Then we have fixed moons, right, including yours, which is Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, Aquarius. Fixed moons need stability. Fixed moons do not like games. They do not like being led one way or another. It's incredibly dysregulating to their nervous systems. Mm -hmm. They're just like, what you see is what you get. I need you to be upfront with me. Even a Scorpio moon, they might play their cards close to their chest, but they hate having games played on them. Might be a bit of a double standard, but fixed moons are all about certainty. And the more in kind of just flexibility and randomness and chaos that they experience, the more they're going to shut down. Does that feel true for you? 
Yeah. Yeah. I definitely need stability. I definitely don't like games. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's all about security for me. That's very, mm -hmm. it's a very Taurus thing, but yes. Yeah. Very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, that's also a very fixed quality, right? Mm. Fixed is immovable. Fixed mm. is what I know for certain. Fixed signs are about what can be self-assured and reassured, what's not going anywhere, what's not changing. Right. And so that modality is so important as well to understand. Then we have some very different, the final mode, which is mutable, which mm. is Gemini, which is Virgo, which is Sagittarius and Pisces. And this is the modality of flexibility. These are the emotional bodies that are going to change their minds, that are going to want to sample a lot of different things before they pick just one. <laughs> this is the emotional that needs freedom, freedom mm. to roam. It doesn't mean they can't commit. It's just anyone who kind of starts to like try to put them in a box. They get really squirrely. They get really squeamish. They're like, don't put me in a box. Don't tell me I have mm. to be the same person I was yesterday. And if mm. you can be on board with my needs and my personality kind of changing every couple weeks, then great, we'll be fine. But there's something that really needs freedom to exist outside the box and to, you know, throw it around a bit, not be super linear. Um, mutable is kind of, you know, you think of a, a fish kind of flopping on a dock. Like they're just, they're always wiggling. They're always moving as opposed to fixed, right? So you put a fixed and a, and a mutable moon together and it might work great because one of them, mutable, is more amenable to, you know, fitting into the needs of a fixed person, but also their changeability might really stress out a fixed moon. <laughs> okay. So it's kind of compatibility is so person to person, but the modality of every placement can tell you a lot about a person. Yeah. Well, a hundred percent. Okay. So how does a moon then, if, if the moon represents our, our emotional needs, how, how, does it then that we can use that for ourselves to meet our mm -hmm. own needs? Yeah. So the question that I always like to ask and invite clients to explore on a daily basis, perhaps through journaling, that really pinpoints the moon. Just like if you had a personal trainer and you're like, I want to exercise my triceps. They're going to give you a specific workout for that muscle group. So if we're trying to isolate the moon in your birth chart, then you have to get in the habit consistently of asking what feels true today. Mm. What feels good today? What feels safe today? What feels unsafe today? But you really want to center questions of reflection or journaling around sensations and feeling. And you'll start to notice I also often tell clients, um, I have a homework prompt to answer for seven days what feels true today. And on Sunday, take a highlighter and highlight the themes and feelings that were coming up repeatedly. Because mm. the psyche, you know, bless her, but she's a creature of habit. She's mm. not very inventive. She likes to repeat herself. So mm. if we really want to get to the core of what do I need or more specifically, what am I not getting right now? Yeah. Notice what's coming up repeatedly when we center the moon. And this is a great way to kind of reverse engineer what do I need to feel secure? Mm. Yeah, I love I love that. I love asking those questions because I don't think people ask themselves and have questions to get to know themselves. I think we kind of assume that we know what we're feeling, but I don't think we do when we're walking around unconsciously all the time. Well, not all the time, but for most of the time, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so much to the moon. And I think also just a word of warning, right? That feelings are temporary mm. and especially for a fire or an air moon, mm. not only are the feelings temporary, but they're changing very often. Mm. And it's important to track the feelings, which is why journaling is great. It's literally just receipts for your emotional body. Right. But to base too much off of the moon can be a little chaotic. Okay. Because feelings are temporary, right? Yeah. And so 
that's where I'm like, all right, let's shift into Mars, into what motivates you, right? That's a little more consistent, right? That's what drives you forward. Like I start a business, there are going to be days where I don't want to do the spreadsheets. I don't want to do the taxes. If I let that feeling of not wanting to do it control my business, I wouldn't have a business anymore. But it's the motivation of my motivation of what this can become is how I'm going to get through the days where I don't enjoy it. And relationships are the same way. So that's why we can't just focus on one part of the chart. Um, But I saw this great quote the other day that said, every thought you think is a chemical. Every thought you think creates a chemical. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can end on mercury because that does rule how we think and communicate. And therefore, the chemicals that are being created in your brain that you're associating with a person or you're associating with being single. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. And it is communication is the basis of everything. It's what we tell ourselves and how we communicate with other people, which ultimately affects our relationships. So my Mercury is in Capricorn. (laughs) (laughs) What's not in Capricorn is maybe a better question. (laughs) So there you go. Um, That's why I'm single. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) So yeah, so yeah, so Mercury is a planet of communication. So how how does, yeah, so could you break it down with with everything and how that affects our ourselves and how we relate to ourselves and communicate? So I love analogies. I love things we can sink our teeth into and make it a little less nebulous, a little less, you know, ethereal. And so Mm -hmm. how I like to think of Mercury is actually the elements as the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, that Mm -hmm. book. And this is how I kind of categorize them in my head. Right. So water is don't take anything personally. Right. So if you've got your Mercury in a water sign, the best thing you can do for your communication with yourself and with others is to stop, to pause, and to remember that nothing is really personal. And that is such a huge point of liberation in relationships because when we're making, you know, when we're taking things personally, it's just, it gets so messy for no reason sometimes. Um, so again, water water signs don't take things personally as a way to streamline Mercury. Um, and then air is don't make assumptions or mm-hmm. wait maybe that was fire um but either way it's like the kind of oh sorry air is be impeccable with your word and the mm-hmm. reason i chose this one for air is because it is the element of processing information and it's so curious you know everybody's tea you are an investigator by nature and sometimes not everything you think needs to be said out loud not everything you learn needs to be shared so really the best thing you can do to be more impeccable with your word is to just be discerning about what needs to be said and what doesn't right and um and that can be really helpful because so often Mercury in an air sign has a tendency to put their foot in their mouth or be labeled as a gossip. And I don't really think it's ever coming from a malicious place. Mm. I think sometimes it's just a little bit of negligence about what is necessary to share. Right. And then with Earth, it might seem obvious, but it, there's a twist, which is the agreement always do your best with mm. heavy emphasis on your best mm. because the thing I notice so often, earth signs get caught up as needing to do better than yesterday, needing to beat your own goals, your own word count, your own personal best, needing the relationship to be better than the one before. There's always a finish line or a goalpost that's getting right. pushed back just as you get to it. And then it's yeah. pushed yeah, back yeah. again. And so the morning pages inventory of how much do I actually have to give today. Maybe I only have 20% in the reserves to put into my business or my writing today, then that's enough. 20% is actually 100% today because I'm honoring that my best looks a lot different today than it did yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that is how the mind can really self-liberate because the internal monologue, oh my gosh, Mercury and Earth signs are so hard on themselves. It's like almost like a blight. It's it's, it's intense. Yeah. Preaching to the choir. Yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, we have air, sorry, fire mercuries, which is don't make assumptions, mm-hmm. right? Because fire mercuries tend to communicate and react and respond on a hair trigger. Mm-hmm. So if you make an assumption about so and so being a bitch, or maybe that guy you're worried he cheated on you or he did this or that, right? 
another kind of chaotic Mercury placement because if you act on an assumption, it gets messier than it needs to. Mm. And that's kind of kind of turning statements into questions can mm. be a lifesaver for fire Mercuries instead of, you know, I don't trust you. It's can I trust you? Instead of you did that, it's did you do that? Instead of, you know, you did that to hurt me. Mm. I felt really hurt by that. Why did you do that? Right. Mm. So if you really want to promote connection, switching statements into questions can be a game changer. Mm. That's really helpful information. I love that book, by the way, The Four Agreements. Yeah. It's so good. I actually reread it every time Mercury goes retrograde because mm. it is the time I think of the year, three times a year where that book is especially important. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't read it actually in a while, but it's such a little book. Like it's a short little book for people who mm-hmm. haven't read it. So it's actually pretty, it's a pretty easy read, I would say. And it's, I don't know what I don't know how that guy did it, but he really came up with some four agreements that are pretty good. <laughs> I mean, usually like any situation of discomfort or unrest, if I open up that book, mm-hmm. one of those four agreements applies precisely to the discomfort, to the misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. So it really is one of those books you can just always go back to. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great little just concise perspective on actually just how to communicate better and how to just take Mm -hmm. life take life a little less I think I don't want to say seriously as a bad thing but just just seriously honestly it's just like it's it's not that like real like you know what I mean it's not that big of a deal anyway yeah anyway and that's Uh, your Aquarius coming through yeah it's It's just not that big of a deal like (laughs) zoom out Yeah. See, I mean, at least I have something that just like gets that Capricorn thing just, you know, a little bit <laughs> tamer because <laughs> it's, it's a lot to deal with sometimes. Um, okay. You also mentioned, I'll just say this one last thing. You've also mentioned when we were talking off camera about people ask you in their chart, what did they need in a relationship? Is that mm-hmm. something that we covered or is that something different? I would say specifically in relationship, what makes the sign of your Venus feel loved, right? So we didn't really go into the individual signs, but we could. Okay. What, what's, let's just quickly do that for people who are interested, um, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. So just off the cuff, what makes Venus and Aries feel loved is someone who can really keep up with you, right? Who takes an interest in kind of, um, it might sound almost too simple but if you like to run or you do yoga every sunday like there's nothing that's a bigger turnoff than someone who isn't kind of keeping their body maintained that isn't staying active because you're charging up physically together so someone who jumps into those routines with you is super great um venus and taurus what you need to feel loved is someone who's like i've got you i'm in it for the long haul or at least you can trust that i'm not just gonna randomly change my tune on any given tuesday right venus in gemini someone who recognizes that one of the most beautiful things you do in this lifetime is change so someone who's willing to change with you and stay up late with you and read the same books as you and if you're learning together then you'll keep growing together right venus and cancer your partner hopefully understands how important home and family are to you and you're on the same page about what you want out of family in the future. Venus in Leo, this is someone who feels like they don't have to dim their shine for their partner. So specifically a partner who gasses you up and is your biggest fan, your biggest cheerleader. There's not a bigger turnoff for Venus and Leo than someone who's like, you're embarrassing yourself or you're taking too many selfies or you're dressed too nice for tonight immediate no which should be a no for anyone but for venus and leo it's like (laughs) so repulsive um venus and virgo is do we put the same amount of care detail and attention into the things that are important to us right so they need a partner who also has their routines their self-care their wellness that nothing can rock and nothing can shake um someone who really is kind of just disorganized and doesn't know what they want out of life and doesn't take very good care of themselves is an automatic turnoff for venus and virgo Mm. venus in libra 
They need someone who knows how to skillfully manage conflict, right? There's nothing that's going to spook a Venus in Libra faster than someone who gets angry, jumps to conclusions, and is in, is super divisive. Um, Venus in Scorpio, you need a partner who's not going to get spooked or scared away when you start talking about childhood trauma or your sexual history or, you know, really can we do the deep work together? Are you familiar with shadow work or are you just in it because it's fun right now? That's a really big one. You need someone who can go into the trenches with you and come out on the other side. Uh, Venus in Sagittarius. This is someone that you know is always going to be dreaming bigger. What's on the horizon? Where can we travel next summer? Anyone who's kind of small-minded, doesn't want to leave their hometown, kind of wants to play it safe, automatic no. Venus in Sag, you need a dreamer just like you. Mm. Then we have Venus in Capricorn. This is essentially, and I know that this sounds a little stereotypical, but you essentially pick partners the way you pick co-founders, which is if life were a business, right? do we have similar philosophies? on how we want to be in this life. What do we want to build? What are we building towards? There have to be shared goals. Another thing about Venus and Capricorn is that they need someone that feels like a power couple partner, right? They don't want to be overwhelmingly like the more successful or the more attractive because Capricorn still rules, um, you know, appearances and public perception. You want someone you feel really confident having on your arm, right? Yeah. Kind of the dumpy <laughs> college freshman boyfriend who never changes out of sweats. Like that was cute for a semester, but that's totally not going to cut it now. Yeah. And then we have Venus in Aquarius. This is typically someone where you need a partner who recognizes you might not want to get married. You might not want to have a really white picket fence traditional relationship framework, but maybe you want to buy some land and have a little commune off the grid or maybe have a more polyamorous relationship like right. Venus and Aquarius. You need a partner who's willing to color outside the lines with you. And then finally, Venus and Pisces. This is a little more nebulous. Maybe it's just harder to describe your own placements because I have this. But Venus and Pisces in relationships, I think, need a really grounding like presence that doesn't box them in because it's so changeable. It's the mm. two fish swimming in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. So they can be totally in love and also yearning to be free or yearning to book a one-way ticket to France and just eat cheese and wine for a month straight. And so someone who's like on board with that, but also really grounding and is also like, okay, I'll be here when you get back is mm. so reassuring. You can mm. swim little fishy in whatever direction you want and there will still be someone who's holding the fort down is a great feeling. Wow. Amazing. And I was, as you were running through them, I was going through my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that checks out <laughs> like Venus and Aquarius. Yep. Um, mm. I have a lot of those, but that's because of my Mars and Aquarius and anyway, whatever. <laughs> Needless to say they're exes. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. We have we don't have that much time left, Roshan, but I have a, a like a little rapid quiz for you. Um, if you saw the the questions that I sent you earlier, but anyways, if you don't, we're just gonna just run by them quickly. Okay, what was your favorite thing that you did while you were single? My favorite thing I did when I was single, I moved cross country. I started my business. I built the friend group I have now. Um, I think which was all really essential that I you know had no distractions when I did those things. What are the things that you take the most seriously in your life? The things I take most seriously, um, the quality of my relationships, um, the the quality of, you know, the health and routines, you know, can my body keep up with me? Can my body keep up with my definition of success, my definition of connection um, and fulfillment? Like what fulfills me in the short and long term? Your favorite single woman movie. As I said before, I've got Venus and Pisces. So my favorite movies to watch when I was single just made me feel more single, like Pride and Prejudice, the Kiera Knightley version. I don't have single empowerment movies. I have, you know, weeping under my blanket, imagining, you know, like a Mr. Darcy. Like, that's all I have to offer. <laughs> hey, I, it probably resonates with somebody. Uh, what, what's your favorite, like, single girl, bad bitch anthem song? This might be a little obvious, but Bitch by Meredith Brooks. Ah. The, um, yeah, I think that's you just crank that anytime you're like, fuck the patriarchy. This is my truth. That's probably my my go to. Oh, I love that throwback. 
Um, what is your greatest wish for all single women? My greatest wish for all single women is that you find the radio frequency that you feel empowered as an individual and that you can maintain and feel so loved as a result in partnership so that no matter whether you're alone or you're with someone else, um, you know how to honor that kind of core blueprint of who you are. I love that. Ocean, where can people connect with you and work with you if they want to do so? Absolutely. So my website is witchykid.com. I'm witchykid on Instagram for daily insights. And yeah, all my offerings are available on both platforms. This has been great. Thank you so much, Ocean, for coming on and and talking astrology and all the things about relationships. I really (laughs) appreciated it. And I, I really learned a lot. So thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. If you seriously loved what you heard today, I would seriously appreciate a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help the show grow. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, or if you're single and would like to apply to be a guest, please email seriouslysinglepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to my Substack newsletter, briannehogan.substack.com, where you can get all the latest updates and essays and writings about relationships and being single, as well as listen to an extended version of the podcast where me and a guest will answer your questions. Plus, there's just like a lot of cool stuff on my Substack. Like if you think I'm super vulnerable and open on the podcast, well, you haven't read one of my essays yet. So thanks for being here and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Seriously Single.